And we're going to continue today, or actually conclude today, a series of messages we began a few weeks ago called <clears throat> Watch, Listen, Trust, and Obey. And I told you that the genesis of this uh, study was just something very personal in my own life as I sought the Lord about, you know, just the issue of often feeling kind of overwhelmed and as though I was just racing to keep ahead of this wave that was always about to crash over me of responsibilities, unmet things that, uh, you know, I just can't seem to, to get ahead of. And uh, the Lord has been working, working me over about some things for about six months having to do with that, that particular set of issues. And one of the things that he focused in on were, was uh, the, these four words, watch, listen, trust, and obey. So for nearly six months now, every day as part of my personal prayer time, uh, I will consider, meditate on, study, and pray about these four things. Because I want to be a person who is watching what God is doing and doing that. I want to be a person who's listening for what God is saying. A person who, having listened to what God has said, trust what he says, and then do what he says. And so we come to the conclusion of this series talking about obedience. Uh, watch, listen, trust, and obey. And uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis, the actually first uh, 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 chapter 1 through the first verse of chapter 4. But we're not going to read all of that, so don't panic. I heard, I, I, you didn't make any sound, but I heard your heart kind of go, <gasps> right? and I, so I knew. Anyway, have you ever been on the outside looking in on what should have been? Years ago, <laughs> I was uh, late for an appointment. Got in my car. You, you know what this is like, and you're just, you know, uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta get there, right? And it dawns on me, oh, no, I forgot. I'm supposed to pick this thing up. And then it dawns on me again. Well, that's on the way to this appointment that I'm already late for. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to swing by there, pick up that thing I'm supposed to pick up, and then you know, try to get uh, to my appointment you know, as quickly as I can, even though I know I'll be late. I'm anxious about it. And so I start planning while I'm driving to the place I'm going to stop before I get to my, my appointment. And I start planning in my mind the way to do that the fastest, are you as anal as I am about things like that? Yeah, maybe not. Okay, well, I'm thinking, okay, how can I do this quickly? And I thought, well, I know what I'll do. I'll just pull up in front of the place. I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was dry cleaning I had to pick up or whatever. But anyway, I was going to just pull up in front of the place, leave the car running, jump out, go in there and get my stuff and then be on my way so I don't have to take the extra time to shut the car down and then restart it when I finish it. You following me? Okay, <clears throat> anyway, so I'm thinking this through. I come up with this plan, and then the alarm starts going off in my, in my mind and heart. Don't do that! <laughs> Why was that? Well, that was because my father had ingrained in me, never, son, never, ever leave the keys in the car. Never leave the keys in the car. That was dr drilled into me. And... Uh, the only thing I knew about that was you don't leave the keys in the car because somebody might steal the car, right? And so then I begin this internal dialogue of, well, yeah, but I'm only going to be feet away from the car when I run into this building. There's no way anybody could steal the car without me being right there. So that's, and I, and I shut down that, that warning, you know, don't, do, I quieted that down with my logic, right? It's so logical. 
So I get to the place, I pull, do exactly what I thought. I pulled up there, put the car in, in park, left it running, jumped out of the car, ran in to get uh, my stuff and came back out and realized I had locked the door <laughs> on the way out. And now I am literally on the outside looking in on what should have been my car sitting there in front of this place running without me in it. <laughs> but what a picture that is of a lot of other times in my life when I failed to heed the voice of God saying, don't do that. And then I have this internal dialogue, yeah, but I, and I excuse it and I work out my logic why it's okay for me to do that. And then I end up paying the price because I can't see what he can see. He knows I'm only considering one aspect of the issue. I was only considering the possibility that someone might steal my car, and I had that one worked out. I had no concept that I might do something stupid like lock my keys in the car with it running. But God knew that. God knows that kind of stuff about our lives. And so when we fail to listen to him, when we fail to obey him, we pay the price, and we end up feeling often like we're... Wow, that part of my life, is I'm just sealed off from it. What could have been, what, what I longed for, what I thought that God was up to, I, I feel excluded from. And we're going to talk about that today. And uh, the way we're going to do that is look at the very first couple, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Now, what God intended for Adam and Eve Actually, here's what I'm going to do. Rather than read all these verses, I'm just going to tell you the things that I'm going to talk about today are between chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 4, verse 1. I may, if I remember, give you the actual references. But rather than take the time to read each one, you know where this is now. And let me just kind of, if it's all right for you, this is not my normal practice, but I just want to talk to you today out of this passage. Okay, you have it in front of you. You can check me and make sure I'm not telling you something bogus. We all right on that? Okay. So the things that God intended for Adam and Eve, human beings, not just the first couple, but all of us to experience, were number one, dominion. In chapter 1, verse 28, he says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over, and then he explains what. And so God intended for human beings to rule over their circumstances, not be ruled by them. To have shared dominion with the creator. Think, think about this. God intended for us to have shared dominion of this planet. We all know what it's like to be ruled by our circumstances. To feel like we are submitting to or have to submit to the dictator of the clock or, the, or, the, or, or our bank account or, you know, you name it. We, we feel restricted and restrained by our circumstances. God meant for us to live as people who, who had dominion over their circumstances. That was part of God's intentions for Adam and Eve and for us as well. And the second thing that God intended for us to experience was partnership with him. Partnership with him. He told, it says that he placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend it. That doesn't mean that he intended for Adam to be sort of a glorified gardener, you know, just pulling weeds and stuff like that. 
That word to tend, it means to cultivate it, to, to develop it. God wanted us, his intention was for Adam and Eve, human beings, to be partners with him in the development of this world that he created. Partnership. And then it says that he, uh, he had placed within the Garden of Eden not only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we all know is the source of, of uh, the fall of, of mankind, we'll come back to that in a minute, but he also placed there the tree of life. And he told them, you can, have the, you can eat of every tree in this garden, but, but except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were invited to eat of the tree of life. At the, at the conclusion, after they had fallen, the end of, of uh, chapter 3, it says there that God had to block them from the tree of life. They had not eaten of it yet, and if he allowed them to eat of the tree of life in their fallen condition, their, seat would have been, their fate would have been sealed. But up till that point, they were invited to eat of the tree of life. Now, that doesn't mean that you, know, you eat this tree and you just exist Life there is the kind of life that God has, which is far beyond just biological life. God meant for us to have life eternal, not just everlasting life, not just life that goes on forever, but the kind of life that God has. He meant for us to have that. That was part of God's intention, dominion, partnership, and life. That's what God intended for Adam and Eve and for us as well. And it says here that God's intentions about these things were based on us as a people, as a race, as a human race, to fulfill two commandments. He said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. He gave them something to do. This is important. I know it's going to seem sort of like I'm, I'm talking to kindergartners. I don't mean to to talk down to you, and I don't mean to, for this to be elementary, but this is important. He gave them something to do. Have babies. Be fruitful and multiply. And then he gave them another commandment, something not to do. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you do is the day you'll die. The day you'll be cut off from my life. So he gave them something to do, and something not to do. Most of us are familiar with the story, but in chapter 3, verse 6, it says that they did what they were told not to do. They disobeyed God. And disobedience is always consequential. There are always consequences when we do what God has told us not to do. We don't think so. We figure, well, all right, I, so I blew it. Who's going to know? Well, even if no one knows, the rippling effect of my dis disobedience and yours is profound. Always. My sin, my disobedience, yours, affects uh, a wide swath, more than we can even imagine, of other people and other situations and circumstances. It's never a private affair. That's what we think. My sin is just a private affair. No, it isn't. There's consequences. There's consequences for me. There's consequences for others. 
It's consequential. We read about them in chapter 3, starting at verse 16. The Lord is dealing with the aftermath of their sin. And he first he speaks to the serpent who tempted Eve. And then he speaks to Eve. And in verse 16 he says, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. These are some of the consequences to Eve of, of their sin. I don't have time to deal with you know, all that and what it means and everything, but just there were consequences, widespread consequences. And then to Adam, verse 17, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. And you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It was never intended for us to return to dust. It was not God's plan. Life, life eternal is what he planned for us. The consequences of sin was that he, part of it was that we would be returning to dust. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't eternity beyond that. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, that death is the end. It isn't. But there's a big consequence here. Things are changing in a devastating way. It says here, he says to Adam, from now on, I mean, as everything has been provided for you, up till now, your entire existence, everything that you have ever needed has been supplied to you by my hand. From now on, because of the sin that you have unleashed. And I don't even believe this was God creating this punishment. This was God articulating the consequences for sin, what we unleashed upon ourselves. When we brought sin into this world, which had corrupted and broke everything, this is part of what God is saying. Now, look what you've done. Now, you're going to have to, for every bite of food you take, you're going to have to fight with nature to get it. There's consequences for our sin. So, so disobedience is consequential, but listen, it's also unrecoverable. You can't undo what you've done. You can't roll it back. You can't take it back. But hallelujah, we have a merciful God, a gracious God, who is a restorer, a recoverer, a redeemer. And we see that even here at the scene of the crime, chapter 3, verse 15, as God is dealing with the aftermath of man's sin, he says to the serpent, he says, and I will put enmity or I will put conflict between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman... He, the seed of the woman, capital he, he's talking about Jesus. He will bruise your head. And in the process, you'll bruise his heel. He's talking about the cross. There's pain and suffering. This, the enemy of our souls nipping at the heel of the Son of God at the same time he was crushing our enemy. So at the scene of the crime, God was pronouncing his intentions to recover and restore and save us. That's our God. But his recovery and restoration plans for you, dear one, are dependent upon a word we don't like very much. It's on the screen right now. 
Obedience. Obedience. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Loss, our, our loss always begins with disobedience. But restoration begins with obedience. When we find ourselves on the outside looking in on what should have been because we have done what we were commanded not to do, there often remains by the mercy of God something we've been commanded to do that we can still obey. That's why I went to the trouble of explaining that there are two types of commands that we all have. The Word of God is full of two kinds of commands. Things to do and things not to do. When you have done what you, can, what you were told not to do, what God has said not to do, and unleash the consequences of that disobedience in your life, often there still remains because we have a merciful God who holds back what we deserve. That's what mercy means. Grace means he gives us what we don't deserve. Because we have a merciful and gracious God, there still remains often the possibility that I can do what he told me to do. That is not a small thing. That's a huge thing. The mercy of God. Now, let's talk about obedience for a minute. Obedience is always blind. I told you about my car, locking myself out of my car, and part of that was because I was blind to the fact that there was something else that might be a problem if I left my keys in the car. I could only imagine one scenario, a problem that somebody would steal it. So when God speaks to us from his word and he gives us commands to do things, it's always blind to some degree. We can't see the downstream ramifications. But here's what we do often, or maybe it's just me. But I will go, God, can you explain yourself? You want me to give 10% of my income? Can you explain to me how that makes any sense at all? Don't we do stuff like that? First of all, we always think we are capable of understanding. Dear ones, we're talking to the maker of the universe here. He's got a little bit more on us than we we think sometimes. And we have to trust him. So, the fact that you may not be able to conceive of why God asks these things of you, why God has given us these commands to do some things, or not to do some things. The fact that that might be a little mysterious to you and might not make so much sense, don't let that trouble you. He's the maker. We trust him. So obedience is always to some degree blind. It's also difficult. I don't care what it, I don't care what it is. To obey God is always going to be a challenge. It's always going to be, a, going to be difficult. Not only because there's so much power in it that the enemy will do everything he can to try to keep you from obeying God, but simply because it's not easy. There will always be... And you, now we get to chapter 4, verse 1. The, you know, the, the fallout from sin is horrific. And Adam and Eve are on the outside looking in. The very first thing, very first thing, that we're told about them after that first verse of chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve. That means now Adam had sexual relations with Eve. 
uh, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. They are doing what God had told them to do that they have yet not done. And when they do, it unleashes God's recovery and salvation. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But it wasn't easy. You might be sitting there thinking, well, how hard could that be, really? <laughs> Doesn't that just sort of come natural? Put yourself in their shoes. No, it didn't. Um, <laughs> a couple of months ago, I was up in Portland when my youngest uh, son's wife was having their first child. I was out in the waiting room. My, Sue and a couple other women were, and, and my son were in coaching her through labor in the, in the room, and I was left out there kind of, you know, <coughs> by myself. But I could hear her screaming in there, and I could hear her say, I can't do this. There was all these other ladies there that go, yes, you can. We have. You'll forget about all this in about two minutes when it's over. And that gave her the courage and the confidence to breathe and do all the things, push and all the things she has to do because somebody has survived this, right? Eve is, has n no one to compare notes with. All she knows is that God has said, as a consequence of your sin, there's going to be pain in childbirth. She does not know that she will live through it. She doesn't know how difficult this is going to be. She had no idea. To sign up for this was not an easy thing for her. Think about Adam. Adam has just been told. I mean, his whole, his whole existence, everything has been provided for him. He's just been told for every morsel of nutrition that you take in, you're going to have to battle nature to get it. In fact, it's going to work against you. Thorns and thistles are going to grow instead of food. You're going to have to fight for every bite. So for him to imagine get, uh, signing up for a process that's going to lead to another mouth to feed was not an easy thing. This choice to obey God, to do what he had told them to do, something that still remained by the mercy of God, that they could do. They can't, uh, what they have done that they were not to do is unrecoverable. They can't take that back. And the consequences exist. But there is still, by the mercy of God, something they can do that they could put into God's hands as the keys to begin to unravel and unlock and restore and recover. And think about this, dear ones. If they don't have this baby... There will be no Savior. Jesus will not come. There will be no... This, this unlocks everything that you and I are here celebrating today. This one act of obedience. The ramifications of it are so profound. And yours and my steps of obedience are not any less profound. The consequences, the, the outflow of those simple things where we choose to obey God are profound. So our obedience is blind, it's difficult, but listen, it's also pleasurable. Adam and Eve, in the process of obeying God, discovered a very incredible pleasure. And when we obey God, there is pleasure in that. It feels so good to do what's right, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, it's such a, 
such a profound satisfaction. To live that way is, the, is God's intentions for us, to know what that experience, what that li- is like all the days of our life. And then finally, as I've already talked about, our obedience to God is powerful, unleashes so much of God's recovery in our lives. And I'll tell you a story and then go home. Or actually, we've got something else to do before we go home, but I'll wrap this up. Um, years ago, years ago, decades ago, 25 years ago, a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, uh, who was a pastor in, a, in another state, big church, everyone by any measure would have said he's a very successful pastor. Large church, they had just completed a huge building program. You know, their church complex had been expanded and, you know, it was an amazing thing. But somewhere along the line, he began to... Uh, open or expose his heart to temptation and he did something that God had said he should not do. He had an affair with a woman in his church. And about that fast, he found himself on the outside looking in on what should have been. He lost his family, he lost his church, lost his ministry. It's unrecoverable. And it's consequential. There are consequences that he's reaping. But in the mercy of God, there remains a whole book of stuff to obey. Things that God has said to do that are still available to him. And one of the verses in this Bible, back in Hebrews, it says, don't forsake or neglect the assembling of yourselves together. That means don't don't stop hanging out with the church. Well, my friend, he still lives in the same town where he's been a prominent minister and everybody knows him. His church was probably the biggest in the city. He can't go anywhere that people don't know him and they don't now know his story. And so for him to walk into a church in that town meant swallowing a big old chunk of pride and meant exposing himself to, you know, ridicule and whatever else anybody wants to bend his ear about, think about him. But he's looking now to unleash the power of recovery in his life and finding things he can obey. So he showed up at a church there. The pastor knew him. People knew him, but just started showing up week after week, swallowing his pride, letting the, the healing balm of the family of God wash over him. Then he signed up to uh, work with babies in the nursery. He just week after week, he'd show up and put on an apron like so many of you do around here and, you know, burp babies and change their diapers and stuff like that. He found another verse in here where it says that if a man doesn't provide for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. And he said, you know what? That's still something that remains to be obeyed on my part. See, he he had only, his whole adult life, he'd been in vocational ministry. He didn't have much of a resume that he could uh, use to secure other employment. 
not much of a, you know, not many marketable skills. But he said, there's something I need to obey. I've got kids that I need to, provi- I need to provide for their child support. So he went out and he got a job uh, as a delivery truck driver. He'd go to 7-Elevens and restock their, their milk and bread and candy bars and stuff like that. And he just kept at it, you know, kept at it. Obeying the things that he, that were still available for him to do. And the recovery that God began to unleash in his life, it didn't happen overnight. And there was no way that he was ever going to be able to return to pastoral ministry, to vocational ministry. But that didn't mean that God didn't have a future for him that God didn't have plans for him, that God's power to redeem wasn't greater than his power to screw it up. And for decades now, that man has been a faithful, a fruitful churchman in his congregation. He's been remarried now for, I don't know, probably 15 years or so. I was privileged to conduct that marriage. He was, he's married to a a wonderful Christian woman. Together they serve in their church. They've, been, they've helped plant a church in the, in the intervening years. They, he's served as a coach to the uh, worship teams in his congregation because he has a, a musical background. And They just do whatever they can to serve the Lord. And God has blessed them. The end of the story of Adam and Eve is not their expulsion from the garden. It starts with chapter 4, verse 1, when they have a baby. That unleashes God's redemption and recovery for every single one of us in this room. So whatever it is you might feel like you're kind of on the outside looking in on of God's plans and purposes for your life, don't let that be the end of the story. Find something in here and obey it. It doesn't matter what. I'll bet there's some stuff in here you have yet to obey. Find it. As small and as insignificant as it might seem to you, every time you do, you're putting into the hands of our redeeming God that which he can use to recreate your life. This is recording number 11142 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 25, 2015. This is the fourth and final message in a series titled, Watch, Listen, Trust, and Obey. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Obey.